a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart with it. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is no Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I am your other co-host, Michelle Egan. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. To those of you who celebrate and those who you don't, I hope that you still enjoy this episode about a couple of our favorite holiday films. My number one favorite. Oh, it's my... Holiday my film. My choice is definitely my number one favorite as well. So there was no question about which I was going to choose when when this subject came up. Nah, not with me either. Yeah, and our choice in holiday movies is so often among our most personal choices, I think, for a lot of people. Just what connects with you and what makes you feel like the holiday spirit, I guess. Like this particular movie is what... Okay, yeah, it's Christmas now when I think about this yeah. movie. That's what it always is for me. Even though I don't usually watch this movie until Christmas Eve mm-hmm. because of the show we had to watch it ours a little bit earlier no, <laughs> than is tradition but uh, I was willing to break the tradition for the show you know it's funny because that is true of me as well my wife yeah. and I usually watch uh so my choice, uh, the one we're going to cover second today, is uh, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life from 1946, which seems incredibly cliche in its way. But my gosh, it is legitimately a masterpiece of a movie. Uh, it is legitimately one of the true greats of holiday Christmas, just film in general. Yeah, we usually watch it on Christmas Eve as we're wrapping presents for our kids because it takes a while sometimes, you know, so (laughs) we usually watch this one and we've taken to watching White Christmas uh, as sort of the double feature. We used to watch Love Actually, but we at one point just started getting really sick of it. I can't remember what happened. We were just like, this movie just does not feel good this year. I, I don't really? know why that was. I've only seen that one once. Okay. We used to, we really have enjoyed it in the past, but at some point we we're just like, this just, uh, I just can't this year. Let's watch something else. So we decided we always love It's a Wonderful Life. Let's watch It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And we usually watched it second anyway. So we decided we're going to watch It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas because they just feel good. Um, they have that great connection to just, Ultimately, they leave you with a good feeling, even though there's in both films, there's real darkness, you know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of makes me laugh because like my pick is Scrooge from 1988, which feels very um, anti-Christmas for some of Mm it, you know, just because of the nature of the story based on a a Christmas carol. Both of these take place, actually, though. It's not just like a overall Christmas thing. They both take place on Christmas Eve because... 
They're both mm-hmm. sort of based on a Christmas Carol themselves. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life has quite a bit of Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. Charles Dickens feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of in opposites. Yeah. Almost <laughs> like the opposite. It's the opposite of that story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Scrooge is one that I, I definitely grew up with. It's always been my favorite Christmas movie. It's always been the one that we have to watch on Christmas Eve um, with my parents, usually when we're having our Christmas Eve shrimp and pasta dinner. <laughs> That's been our tradition the last few years and um, always been my favorite. It makes me laugh. Um, now when I'm kind of looking at it as what has happened many times doing the show, looking at a movie for the show, I'm seeing a lot more that uh, I hadn't really thought about before. Because mm-hmm. usually I, I would just say that I loved this movie because it's it's fucking hilarious. and It's so quotable and it um, just makes me very <laughs> happy in a way, even though it, now that I see it as very cynical. Oh, yeah. It's still it's still very funny and I love the cast and it's I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about. But there's definitely if this is another thing where I'm kind of more excited to talk about your movie than my movie. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about both of them. I think they both have Okay, I Scrooge is one that I've always liked and I like it a lot. Uh-huh. I wouldn't call it one of my favorites for the season, but <laughs> I was really glad to watch it and revisit it cuz I always I Bill Murray at this point is, he's that great character, you know, the Peter Venkman kind of thing he was doing Mm -hmm. or, you know, like Stripes, where he was kind of a little bit, he comes across, obviously he's working his ass off in all of these movies and stuff, but he comes across in the films like he's just showed up on set and is like sort of just doing his thing on set. You know what I mean? It's it's, (laughs) it's not... He's like, I'm a little bit bored to be in my own movie. But, you know, it's hard to describe it. That's part of the appeal. Yeah, it's part of the appeal of it. And I I liked that. Uh, That's one of the things I found and always found endearing about Peter Venkman. You know, that is... Mm, He's just sort of over it. He's just sort of over (laughs) it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You kind of feel that way about his character um, Mm -hmm. of... uh, Frank, Frank Cross. Cross. I could remember the last name, but not the first name for some reason. Yeah, Frank Cross in, in this film. But, you know, it's not that he's not giving the role everything he's got, because he clearly is. But um, there is that sort of air about Murray during this stage that is kind of quintessential Bill Murray. Yeah, it's just this Bill Murray-ness. Yeah. So should we just get into yeah. it? All right. Yeah. So we're going to start with scrooge this time we're going not only in reverse order of whose pick is going first but reverse chronological order this is a little weird yeah well that's okay. but we both felt that this was the right one to to start off with mm-hmm. um and like i was saying before like i don't really know how to to get into this one we'll just start talking about it for one thing what you have to talk about with this movie is the cast oh yeah is the people involved in this movie is just it's so it's so crazy first of all uh directed by Richard Donner, um, who passed away earlier Early this year, year which yeah. is very sad, yeah. And this is he actually his... Lethal Weapon, Goonies yeah. fame, The Omen, Superman! Th- that's <laughs> right, we've already talked about Superman. I was going to say this yeah. is actually a second Christmas movie after Lethal Weapon. That's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, this is one of those movies, though, where don't read the behind the scenes of it. <laughs> I have never read the behind the scenes of it. <laughs> don't! Is it, It'll ruin it's it. a situation where like Richard Donner and Bill Murray didn't get along, right? 
Yes. <laughs> I've heard that's kind of the case with some of Bill Murray's movies. I mean, for goodness sake, Groundhog Day, you know, started a feud between he and his friend, Harold Ramis, that lasted for decades. Oh, and which is so man. sad. Yeah. So not talking about any of that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's just talk about what we see on screen. What is amazing about this movie is who we see on screen. Bill Murray as we've been saying, at kind of the height of his Bill Murray-ness four years after Ghostbusters. They were kind of, um, I remember, I read on the behind the scenes, they were like kind of the advertising for this movie was about, oh, hey, he's dealing with ghosts again. Right. <laughs> Karen Allen as Claire, the love interest. Um, I love, I'm absolutely in love with Karen Allen. I have a question for you. She doesn't get enough love, man. Why in the 80s, between, you know, from Raiders of the Lost Ark to Scrooged and everything she did in between, there why was she not the biggest star actress in hollywood right because she is absolutely glows on screen yes every that smile of hers yeah. fuck. i mean her eyes and she is perfect <laughs> when she appears she's on so screen, fucking sweet just, in this movie too mm-hmm. it's like every time she appears on screen you're just like i just want to be with you can see why he is so drawn to her, mm-hmm. you know, because she is just, I mean, she's not only beautiful, but she just has a, a light in her, you know, Yes, that you don't necessarily see in every actor and that she can convey that so well is just, it's just incredible. She just seems like the most like warm, loving person, you know, yeah. <laughs> that you've ever met. Like I think about her even in as Scotty's mom in the Sandlot or oh, right. in Starman, especially. Oh, God, oh my I love God. Starman. Yeah. Starman. Mm-hmm. Like I just I'm absolutely smitten with her every time I see her on screen. Plus, she kind of looks like my mom. Oh, is that right? Which is interesting. <laughs> She's like my mom's like uh actor twin you know like everybody kind of has one um then going down the this amazing list i mean we got people like carol kane bobcat goldthwaite robert mitchum alfrey woodard john forsyth Mm -hmm. and plus all of the murray brothers make appearances And then, of, then of course, there's like Buddy Hackett and Jamie Farr and stuff like <laughs> yeah. Robert Goulet that, and Lee Majors <laughs> yes. that show up in the little parody things, you know, yeah, uh, that are really funny. And then one that I hadn't noticed until this viewing was one of my musical heroes, Miles Davis, appears in a cameo in this movie. <laughs> that joke is so much funnier now. It is. It's like, keep <laughs> working on it, guys. Him. Yeah, you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that scene. And, and for me to actually listen to it, it's like, wait a minute, that's Miles Davis. Because you can just tell the way he played a horn, no one played a horn like him. And it was... And so it was like, it's really him. And Paul Schaefer is the is one of the street musicians in that of uh, David Letterman's band uh, is one of I the say he's Paul yeah, he's one of the <laughs> okay. better known musicians in that little quartet as well. So that was cool for me having just yeah. become more of a jazz fan, I guess, in the past, you know, five or 10 years, um, which, you know, I've seen this movie in the meantime. But it still didn't dawn on me. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I just learned that last night while I was reading up on this. Yeah. That just makes it even more. T- Plus, there was like jokes that um, I think we both caught yeah. this time that we hadn't caught before. So there's there's a lot going on with this. But this is obviously, as we said before, based off of Christmas Carol. What I kind of like about the way they did it, though, is that, okay, so Bill Murray is Frank Cross. He's the uh, president of a television company, IBC. You'll love it. And they're producing um, a live 
broadcast that they're going to do of a Christmas, even though they call it Scrooge, they call it Charles Dickens Immortal Classic Scrooge. I was like, it's not called Scrooge. It's called a Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, but okay. (laughs) They're going to do this on Christmas Eve. What I love about the movie, though, is that he never says, even though he's going through the same thing that happens in A Christmas Carol, he never says that. It's true. It's, so it's, yeah. it's, it's meta without acknowledging that at all. Like, he never says like, oh, this is just like Charles Dickens right. or anything, which I thought I thought that was actually a good way to do it, just to kind of go with it, you know? Yeah. So what is your... Um, so I grew up with this movie. I want to know like what you... What your initial like reaction to it is? Well, I have always been a fan of a Christmas Carol uh, adaptations. Okay, going back to Mickey's Christmas Carol when I was a kid, <laughs> I have watched as many of them as I possibly can. You know, I love like the Alistair Sim one, the British one from the early '60s, and and the George C. Scott one from the mid '80s. So mm-hmm. it was a television movie, but it's probably the best version that has ever been made uh in my opinion i i think the robert zemeckis you know sort of jim carrey one is okay i guess Uh, muppet christmas carol i i love but have complicated feelings about i i don't know how to (laughs) which would be very controversial (laughs) for me to get into so i'm not going to um (laughs) but i think i uh really like christmas carol stories because i my favorite ones are the grinch it's a Wonderful Life and, you know, basically any Christmas Carol adaptation. And I like them all. Yeah. And I think this is a really good one of all of those. And I like how it subverts it all because we're so familiar with it by this point that, mm-hmm. you know, you got to do something different, right? You can't just do the same old thing. And what they're doing on <laughs> on the TV show, the live broadcast is so ridiculous. Yeah. It's It's just hilarious you know um <laughs> there was an article that i read about scrooge that uh, the the title of the article was like why scrooge is one of the best christmas movies ever and i was like okay i can go along with that but like everything that the person was saying about was how how cynical it was how much it the tone shifts and um how mean-spirited it was at the time which makes it not sound like a very good christmas movie right. at all because that's not usually the kind of feeling that you want to have yeah from a christmas movie you want you want warmth and, and kindness and, yeah and i think you get that by the end of the movie mm-hmm. even though the end of the movie still kind of confuses me in a way like the whole movie now when i think about it really kind of confuses me maybe i'm just i'm very cynical myself and so that part of (laughs) that part of the attitude of the movie appeals to me but i mean it's more it's more real Mm -hmm. okay so i have to admit to being a bit of a grinch um because okay for 10 years i was professionally a music minister okay so the most stressful times of year for me were Christmas and Easter, okay? Oh, yeah, come on. I work retail. I know, I know. So <laughs> We hate the holidays. So me working my longest day of the year on Christmas Eve, sometimes having an 11 o'clock midnight service, and then having to go back the next morning to do the Christmas morning service for 10 people that would actually show up was frustrating. I lost time with my family. Uh-huh. I didn't get to go, you know, after what what they would do is they would take the kids and go to this holiday light thing. I never got to go because I had two more services that I had to play. So I feel uh-huh. like I missed out on a lot of in my adult life 
on a lot of sort of the Christmas spirit. And I would just associate it with stress and with people not liking what I did. You know, it's like because it wasn't like what they experienced as a child, you know, and it's like, well, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know (laughs) what you experienced as a child. So and times have changed. I'm sorry. You know, it was just, Mm -hmm. it was very stressful. It was a lot of criticism. It was a lot of just bad feelings. And I would get to Christmas morning and I'd be like, or the day after Christmas sometimes or Christmas afternoon. And I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. I mean, and and I'd been listening to Christmas music since September to pick out for, um, for the services and for, you know, the different events that we did all year, all season long. I was like, I can't do this. So now I have like hard and fast rules. We do not listen to Christmas music in my (laughs) presence until after Thanksgiving. Right. We do not watch Christmas movies until after Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uh, I am just like, I'm, and people, Brian, you're so Scroogey, it's like I know I am. I get it, but there's a reason for it. And you working in retail, yeah. getting slammed with with people's attitudes during the this time of year has got to be tough. Yeah, I mean, retail. When you work retail, like holidays and weekends have no meaning anymore, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, especially. With the big ones. I mean, they've been um, the past couple of years, you know, with COVID and everything, they've they've given us more time off, you know, to actually take a break and, and be with our families, uh-huh. you know, for the holidays, which has been good. But yeah, I mean, having being surrounded by people all day and just like I was telling you before we talked, like just having days where you're just running around trying to get stuff out, all the Christmas stuff and never really having a, a break. Yeah, I don't like the holidays sometimes. I don't care about Christmas some years because I'm I'm surrounded with it. Thankfully, they don't start with the music in the store until the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's surprising because I go into stores, you know, like Walmarts or whatever. It's like they're already playing this. Are you kidding me? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, we have day, a we have a radio station. After. We have a radio station in our area. Uh-huh. It's a Christian radio station, and I refuse to listen to it anyway. Usually, because I don't like <laughs> it. But they play Christmas music on Halloween in sort of as no. sort of a form of protest, and it no. ticks me off. I just <laughs> rail awful. against it every time I hear it. It's like you know, I mean, no offense to Christian music, I just don't listen to it anymore because I had to listen to it for my job <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> for a long time, and I'm like, it's just awful. <laughs> so much of it is so <laughs> bad, and it just it it just kind of offends me as a musician <laughs> and as um. <laughs> And as a lover of Halloween, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so it seems like we both kind of get where Scrooge is coming uh-huh. from. <laughs> but but the thing is, I got to say about Scrooge and A Christmas Carol and The Grinch and uh, It's a Wonderful Life is they all kind of melt my Grinchy, cold, Scroogey heart. At least for the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so by the time I get to Christmas break from school, I'm kind of ready to go. I'm kind of ready to for for the holidays by that point. What's a break? What are you talking about? I know about? you don't get one. <laughs> I know and I feel I feel 
bad even bringing it up. I, I gotta admit, though, it, it sort of almost feels like my reward for being because sl- even before I was a professional music minister, I was always playing for Christmas Eve services, you know, mm-hmm. so. Okay, you can have your one little reward. So it's my it's my, my reward <laughs> for all of those years of doing that is is two weeks <laughs> off at, uh, between Christmas and New Year's <laughs> t- mm-hmm. for uh, every year with, with school. So that's nice. That's true. <laughs> so like I so, said, I don't really know where to go. Well, I mean, okay, so for <laughs> me, for me, I love so, the way yeah. where this movie starts with sort mm-hmm. of like these yes. cynical, I cheesy, love so much. cheesy kinds of ridiculous anti-Christmas movies that they have that they're going to be showing these little like the night the reindeer died is just one of the funniest things and I just love that and the thing is there are movies like that that exist it's Lee Majors it's Lee Majors (laughs) you've been a good boy and Mrs. Claus saying yeah you have and it was just like you sure have (laughs) it's like um so is that implying that Lee Majors is having an affair with uh, Mrs. Claus (laughs) I did not think that. Okay. okay. Now I am. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see The Night the Reindeer Died. Can someone make that movie? Yes, please. Please, somebody. <laughs> we would love to see that. I want to see the elves scurrying around yeah. <laughs> with grenades and rocket launchers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. The father loves beaver thing. <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious the last few years because for most of my childhood, we had this movie taped off of TV onto um, a VHS and that's how I watched it. That's what the version that I knew and they cut out the father loves beaver part, Um, which I completely understand why. But yeah, that all of these are just such cynical. Yes, but also like really funny takedowns of kind of television in general yeah. especially that one <laughs> the the cajun uh what is it robert the, goulet's old-fashioned cajun christmas cajun i mean christmas. that's sort of a spoof of the old bob hope and um and john denver holiday specials they would have in the 80s that were just kind of corny <laughs> yeah. but you always watched them anyway and you know and he's he's there on a i don't it's know like a little is, gondola like a thing yeah a little gondola raft and there's a alligator, alligator <laughs> that he keeps looking back that reminds me of did you ever read that book from the i think it was the 70s that was a a Cajun night before Christmas no. is like they did a whole um, uh, night before Christmas story. They did it in like as if it was like a cage. Oh, it's it hilarious. You have to read that. It's like Santa's um, raft or whatever is led by 12 alligators. Or something. <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find that. It sounds <laughs> you fun. Have, you have to look that up. I found that in the li- library one time. It's hilarious. This I love also, you know, he's got his sort of board of yes men there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he practices his smile. There's in, one woman. Yeah. He pract- and Bobcat Goldthwaite, who says, who's his, the only one who kind of challenges him. But he, And women, you're right. Yes, you're right. But he looks into his drawer and there's a mirror in there and he like practices his smile. I, th- I always thought he was like checking his teeth. I just thought that was just. <laughs> Before he spoke. <laughs> okay. I just thought that was just this one of these really weird, funny details that I hadn't really thought about. But I find that really funny. It was like, show me the Scrooge promo. And then they show, and you got to admit, you know, the Scrooge promo is a fairly typical kind of thing you would show. It's John Houseman, you know, sitting from the paper chase and stuff, sitting in a. No idea who that is. Okay. He's, um, 
he's kind of one of these old school stars. He worked with Orson Welles at the Mercury Theater and stuff. Okay. But he, uh, you know, he's sitting in a big wingback chair by the fire reading a mm. giant red book. And, you know, when he says, you've got... And he comments on yeah, it. Yeah, like, you've got, got America's like, favorite old fart. Favorite old fart. Reading a book, reading a book. in front of a fireplace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now... I have to kill all of you. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be so scared to miss it. You know, this, you know what, this must-see the... TV idea. <laughs> yeah, but you know, his his version of the Scrooge promo, I almost kind of get it. <laughs> you know what it made <laughs> you know? me think of? It made what? me think of Targets. <laughs> yeah. You know, the idea of there's so much horror in the world. That's what I was like, you know what? That's a little over the top, sure. But I kind of get what you're saying. Because <laughs> it's like, there's all this bad stuff. Drug addiction, freeway killers. <laughs> Very much like targets, yeah. <laughs> now is now more than ever, it is important to remember the true meaning of Christmas, is what yeah. it says. Which I was kind of like, you know what? That's that's kind of a good point. In a but way. in all honesty, you see some news promos and things like that now, today, that look like that. It's not... <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel like that. This was an insane exaggeration in 1989. Now, it doesn't feel like it's that far removed from the way news is promoted oh, sure. on television. Because like we were talking about with Nightcrawler. If it bleeds, it leads. You know, this bleeds, it leads. If it's, you know, urban violence encroaching on the suburbs. All these things, you know, let's fear monger. Let's make people afraid of everything so that they'll watch us and let's keep them afraid so they'll keep watching us. You know, um, I heard it said, you know, we don't have a news business. We have a bad news business. And it's mm-hmm. always been that way. You know, I mean, there's never been a time where good news was the main thing that was reported. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's it's you go with what people will read and what people find interesting. Right. And that's what it's all about. It's all about getting the viewers mm-hmm. Getting the money he has. Frank Cross, he actually has the very realistic view of what he does. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all about getting people to. He even has a very realistic view of Christmas, the way Christmas is commercialized in a way. You know, it's yep. all about doing all this stuff to get money mm-hmm. for the companies that do this because they know that they can capitalize on this holiday. Yeah. And I mean, yes, it's a very cynical look, but sometimes, you know, that's how it feels a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, he, obviously he's <laughs> taking it to a different level. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of... Well, I'm talking about like mainly that scene where he's um he's the, the Miles Davis scene where he's mm. talking to his brother and he's like, oh, it's just all about, you know, it's a, it's a crock. It's just, it's for kids, you know, it's about it's all about like you know making money like i want i'm gonna have people stay inside you know because it's cold and they're gonna watch television that's why i love christmas you know that's why a lot of these corporations that capitalize that love christmas yes. that's that's kind of what i got from that scene oh yeah then we're kind of introduced to Alfred Woodard. Alfred Woodard Yay. is sort of the Bob Cratchit of this story. Yes. And her, the her son is Tiny Tim. He, do, he's, he doesn't speak. Calvin. Calvin, yeah. But I love this part where he's like going down the list of gifts. Bath towel. <laughs> towel. 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 VHS. VHS. Just the way he says that is so I love. I love the way that he first says it. He says... Uh, cinema VHS home video like he yeah. goes there's a very long name for it because <laughs> it's 88 because it was like 1988 <laughs> you know and people new to these things really <laughs> I mean frankly yeah um, it's just kind of funny or when his brother opens it it's your basic top of the line pioneer VHS <laughs> 
yeah. you're just like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to I know. watch that now. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. I, but yeah, as much of a Scrooge as he is, um, I do love his relationship with Grace. I think yeah. they're kind of good together because she gives just as much as she gets. Oh, yeah. She pushes back. And I like yeah. that. I know the whole thing. And of course, he fires Bobcat Goldthwait's character at the beginning of this, which because he actually stands Elliot up and we, <laughs> yeah. we know we know that he could fire Grace for standing up to him, but he doesn't. Whereas Bobcat Goldthwait's character, he fires him because he had the gall to say, yeah. this isn't a good idea. Right. So I, I think that shows something about Alfred Woodard's character, Grace's character, as someone that he really does value, even if he would never say it. That, yeah, that's the, that, yeah, something that you kind of can see underneath the the demeanor that he has. Like there's some there's something there's a respect there because mm. um, they say in the in the story like the reason that her son doesn't talk is because um, he saw his father, her husband, killed mm-hmm. five years ago. So he's so she's been with him at least for five years. That's a long time. Yeah. Like, it seems like that'd be a long time for someone to survive with, with Frank Cross, you know, working under him. Right. So there's obviously something about her that he, I think that he, yeah, that he respects and that he values, but that, yeah, he would never tell her that. And I like that about the, I like when characters have a relationship like that. I do too. I think it makes uh, it's an interesting power dynamic because mm-hmm. she doesn't really have the power, but she still holds the power over him she in does. some ways. <laughs> it's interesting. And it's more more so than like a Bob Cratchit situation, a typical Bob Cratchit situation where mm-hmm. it's very much an underling. It doesn't feel quite like that. Where she can stand up to him mm-hmm. and she does and he takes it. Yeah. I also like that Frank has a boss in this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not yes, the this, top guy. Also, um, yeah, also earlier in the movie, uh, we meet the uh, the one that's above him. He's the president of production. Of the, yeah. yeah. So I don't know what, um, <laughs> I love his name too. His name just sounds like he's a TV exec too. Preston Rhinelander. Yeah, Preston Rhinelander played by the great Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. Yeah. And <laughs> not at all like we saw him in KP. No, not at all. I think it's, his whole running joke of the pets watching television is one of the funniest <laughs> things in this movie. And yes. Yes. And he goes home and he, and he has, you know, all these cats in his apartment watching <laughs> <Yeah>. TV. <laughs> when they're watching the, the Scrooge live thing, there's like all these cats that are, because he's put a mouse in the in the production right. and he's like, look, see, works like a charm. <laughs> I love that. I love whenever he, he shows up on the screen. Because <laughs> I watch this with my, my parents every year and like every year my dad's always like, wait, who is that again? It's like, come on, dad. <laughs> well what's funny about robert it's robert mitchum (laughs) one of the things that's kind of funny about the robert mitchum scenes is they have a lot of fluff in them you know i wouldn't want to lose any of those scenes but you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need them for the plot what they do is they give you they give life to this particular character in a way Uh 
because, I mean, he needs to be there because um, he needs to exist, but in the movie to be able to fire Frank at the end, right? Or have the ability to, right? If he really does. Yeah. I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. But I mean, if he, he has the ability to do so, at least. Yeah. So that's kind of necessary. He's a necessary character, but his scenes are kind of just there for humor and for building of this <laughs> don't mind. odd relationship. But I wouldn't lose a single second of them. And that's one of the things I like is there's a lot of uh, atmosphere to, the, I guess, the relationships in this that are very funny. And it does give a little an extra layer to the character. Yeah, that he has a boss and that he has someone to answer to, that he has someone that he has to, he has to like basically suck up to like everybody mm. underneath him has to do to him. But I think it's also showing that Robert Mitchum is a little off his rocker and probably not going to be in that position very <laughs> long, right? And Frank is probably the... The one who would be promoted up into that role and that's what he's that's what he's after and that and he brings in the other character that's co- that's coming after frank it becomes a real threat in the movie yeah <laughs> yeah there's a lot more in this movie that i had thought of before yeah. i love this scene when um his boss <laughs> arrives <laughs> that just always makes me laugh john forsyth yeah playing lou hayward is lou hayward yeah, kind of um, the marley of this movie the mar yeah mm. the marley that are, arrives in his office one night and can i gotta say marley scenes marley scenes are almost always my favorite scenes in scrooge movies really yeah i think that they are they tend to be the scariest you know that and the future uh-huh. one. Yeah, they tend to they tend to be the scariest. They're a little bit gross. This one's got the yeah. This one's got the scariest. Yeah, they're they're a little bit gross. Me. I mean, because because uh, Marley in the book, I mean, he's has a has like a bandage around his his head, and you know, he takes it off, and his jaw falls open. I mean, because because right. it's yeah, it's like to show that he's dead because that's what they did with because the muscles in the jaw loosen and the jaw practically falls off. I mean, it's it's. Uh-huh. It's got all this sort of creepiness to it. And I've always l- responded to that, even in Mickey's Christmas Carol with Goofy playing Marley. Uh, you know, his face turns into the door knocker and all sorts of things. But Oh, right. Yeah. Um, hmm. This kind of makes a joke of it and makes it a little bit scary. It's scary um, because, I mean, like he takes off his glasses and he has no eyes. The mouse that comes the out of the back of his head and drops the golf ball out of the back of his head. I mean, it's a little gross. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gets shot and he's drinking the 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 whiskey. <laughs> the, it's like, I don't mind if you hit me, but go easy on the Bacardi. Uh, so he's drinking the rum and, and, and it's like spraying out of his out of the bullet holes on his body. It's great. <laughs> the the way he just arrives on this on the screen too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the door just like blows open yeah. and um again with his Bill Murrayness, the way he handles seeing his dead boss <laughs> talking to him is to make a joke out yeah. of everything that he says, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but um, uh, it brings in the seriousness of the whole Christmas Carol story um, in the way that John Forsyth um, delivers his lines when he's saying like, you know, this is your last chance, you know, don't end up like me. Uh-huh. I love the way he delivers those lines. Frank obviously cannot 
hear that yet he's not listening to him but um he's very sincere i think in those in that delivery mm-hmm. and especially when he says you know mankind should have been my business when yeah. he's saying he's telling him like you're which a- is the one line he says that is directly from dickens uh-huh. yeah because he's like really? mankind was my business that's actually a line from marley and dickens uh so i think that's nice. really poignant there that that you know after almost 200 years still applies you know mm-hmm. because he had been talking um Frank was telling him, like, you're a legend in, you know, the television business, mm-hmm. talking about all of his accomplishments there. It's like, that's not that's not what's important yeah. is what he's trying to teach him right now, which is obviously too early. But yeah, then the scariest part for me always when I was a kid is when he picks him up. <laughs> and he's holding him out the window. And yeah. Literally, like, pushes him out of the window. It's like this really cool effect where he just kind of, like, goes through the window uh-huh. And he's holding, oh, uh, and he like rips off his rips off arm. His arm. That, that was, yeah. For some reason, it's kind of funny, but it's also, yeah, it's also really It's gross. gross it's and it's scary. a little scary, yeah. It used to scare me a lot when I was a kid mm. at that part. Yeah, for, for um, me, I was always drawn, my favorite ones were always, when I was a kid at least, were the uh, Marley scene and the Ghost of Christmas yet to come scene, you know, mm-hmm. because they were a little scarier. I liked that a lot. Um, and then when he supposedly drops him, um, you know, down down the side of the building, but he really wakes up. And it's a really interesting um, part. Like, I don't know. I think it's the ghost of him or whatever dials the phone that calls um, uh, Frank's, you know, past love interest, right. Claire, mm-hmm. Karen Allen. And um, gosh, what happens after that? <laughs> Uh, well, this is, oh, I mean, she shows up yeah. at the no. Oh, we'll just talk about Karen. Oh, Allen. yeah, I guess but, I guess she yeah she does show up at the um at the set right of yeah, uh, after the whole uh, <laughs> the, sen- the the part with the censors <laughs> that part was always cut out too yeah to where you couldn't you couldn't see the <laughs> girl because you could you can't actually see her nipples <laughs> on the costume the solid gold dancer <laughs> from the like, the TV version I that I watched see her nipples. Does. It's like you you can barely see them nipples, and these guys are really looking. Really looking. <laughs> it's like Charles Dickens would want to see her nipples. Uh, so yeah, Claire shows up on set, and again, she is just the sweetest. And he just melts when ever. she's when she appears. Yes. I mean, he. Um, it's all of this hardness that he has cultivated, uh, this shell that he's put over himself, just kind of melts away when he sees her. It's that thing yeah. where it seems like he's the most himself yeah. around somebody like her. Yeah. And uh, like her, her nickname for him is Lumpy. Um, Which we find out why a little later, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can just tell as soon as he hears that word, you can just see on his face, like, it's clear. This is the one that got away. Yeah. This is the one that I need in my life. <laughs> and it's just, it's so sweet when they, when they finally meet up and yeah, he, he actually smiles. You, you believe his smile for the mm-hmm. first time, you know, when you, when you see him talking to her and she just kind of melts your heart right away. Cause she's just one of those people that's just too good to be real, mm-hmm. you know, but you still, still love her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She just makes me happy. I love her. So uh, here we, we're also kind of in this sequence. Are we, in, is, is this where we're introduced to the uh, director who is, has become sort of Robert Mitchum's kind of current favorite, uh, someone he. Yeah. He's the guy that he's bringing in to help quote unquote, help Frank through this uh, whole thing with Scrooge, because he's like, I don't want you, yeah. you know, stretching yourself too thin. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Bryce Cummings is his name. He's played by yeah. John Glover for other, 
for fans of other kinds of movies. You said he was in 52 Pickup, right? Yeah, he's a bad Which guy I in 52 Pickup. Um, he's also... Roy Scheider. Yeah, Check he's also in Gremlins 2. He plays Clamp <laughs> uh, in Gremlins 2, who's sort of the Trumpish character of that movie. One of my favorite lines is when, uh, is when Ryan Lander is telling Frank that he's going to bring somebody <laughs> in to help him, and he just goes, oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, right. <laughs> I love his line reading. Yeah. Well, and then they go to this they go to lunch, right? They have this restaurant scene mm-hmm. where he's is he's to expect the first ghost tomorrow at noon, noon uh, you know, instead yes. of at midnight, which I think is funny. I thought that I always thought that was really funny. <laughs> but so he starts That's another joke seeing that I weird <laughs> things. And there was a joke at the end of this scene that I didn't get before that I got this time. There was a joke at the beginning that I didn't get before when I was a kid when he orders a highball yeah. and he and he gets the eyeball. He gets the eyeball. And the glass, oh, it wasn't yeah, yeah, until yeah. I was older. I was like, oh, okay. For me, it was when he <laughs> sees the now. waiter catch fire on the baked alive. Alaska, and then he throws the yes. water on him, and he says, "I'm sorry, I thought you were Richard Pryor." Yeah, that was a that was a joke I did not get until recently. I mean, it's I and I say it's a joke because even Richard Pryor joked about when he what he started himself on fire. So I, yeah, <laughs> and there's a little bit of Bill Murray's like physical comedy uh-huh. in that scene too, when he's leaving in the restaurant, and it looks like it. You can't down. tell with Bill Murray. You can't tell Bill Murray if it's on purpose or if it he actually fell and he was just going with it you know yeah i or if he meant to to do that it's really hard (laughs) but it's so funny and then we get into the ghost of christmas past uh played by david johansson uh aka buster poindexter of the new york dolls that's which i did not know a little bit of information (laughs) that i just learned myself but yeah that's like a punk band yeah it is it It is that's cool Mm. I never would have thought from looking at this guy. Though, that's the, awesome. Yeah, he's one of the founding, one of the big founding New York punk punk bands. So nice. around the time of the like the Ramones, he's great as the ghost of Christmas past. Um, yeah. Another thing that I kind of like uh, that kind of goes along with Grace's character is that the ghosts, you know, obviously the only ones that talk are the ones of past and present right is that they can go up against frank no problem like his cynicism and his jokes they they can both come back at him with the truth that he needs to hear you know and i love that the ghost of christmas past is like it's very much with his wit that he comes at Mm -hmm. him you know he can stand up to him line for line yes as far as uh you know it's like yeah sure whatever you know and then then you know he makes him walk into the door (laughs) And different things like that. Uh, it's, it's. I love that one of the first jokes that he says is like the classic. You don't mind smoke. if I smoke, do you? Right, and then he. <laughs> and then he's actually he's smoking out of his ears. Smoke yeah. coming out of his ears, yeah. and he breaks the fourth wall there too. He looks right at the camera, yeah. and he's doing that. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, they go back uh, into the past. This is where the second Murray brother comes into play. The first one, um, um, his brother James in the movie is played by uh, John Murray, okay. and then when we go back into the past uh we have his brother brian is playing uh earl uh, frank's father which i always love this when this when he kind of tears up in this scene like um, yes (laughs) that's my line sorry (laughs) i do that a lot (laughs) it's exactly what attila the hun said (laughs) but when he saw his mother (laughs) niagara falls (laughs) it kind of makes me tear up too Because you're seeing, almost seeing a little bit of why he is the way he is. Sure. And the sequence, um, it's just him on, on Christmas Eve sitting there watching watching tv his his mom is it's the 50s so she's pregnant and smoking right 
there in the chair when his uh when his dad comes home like what is it a choo-choo no it's five pounds of veal <laughs> and just the very um uh, un-christmasiness you know that mm-hmm. he recalls you know like there's no lights up on their house right. it, you can't even really see any decorations i don't think um in the house and so it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like a kid should be feeling on christmas eve right so it seems like his cynicism started there and like he just kind of retreated into television um as a way to find his happiness because he wasn't finding it in his family life right I think where he really finds sort of that childlike Christmas spirit is in the scene that we see with him and Karen Allen. Uh, when Claire meet cute. Yeah, it's really cute. And they, he's like, oh, I just I just love Christmas so much. I want to open all the presents now. It's like, no, you got to uh-huh, wait yeah. until you got to you can open one now. Then you got to wait until morning to <laughs> to open the others. It's, yeah. it's really sweet. I love that scene. And you know, a, before yeah, that is where they big first contrast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big contrast between when he was actually a kid and when he should be having that kind of Christmas mm-hmm. joy. You know, he never had that. Mm-hmm. That's right. I like the um, the office party. Too. Oh, the office party. Have you noticed there's an office party going on? Yeah. <laughs> and Tina's giving out the copies of her butt, which yeah. is very nice. But yeah, that's when um, Claire and Frank have their their meet cute. Uh huh. With being and why she calls him head. lumpy. Yeah. Hit With the, the door, <laughs> yeah. So lumpy, and they hit they hit their heads together. You know, as they're both leaning down to pick something up. Yeah. Got me right here on the sidewalk. Got me right back right here. here again. She's so cute. God, I want to date Karen Allen. Can I? <sighs> She would make me so happy. I just love her in everything. Everything. I haven't, right? I haven't seen a just, single movie that she has been in. Even if the movie is not as good, she is great in it. And it, it just doesn't, it never fails. Especially her character, I think, in this one is my favorite, mm-hmm. I have to say. Like I said, because she's like one of those good people that you is almost too good to exist. Because yeah. in that scene um, with her and Frank, it's 1969. So it's, uh, it's very, he's got like longer hair. It's super cute. Yeah, for me, it's um, probably she... Marion Ravenwood and Raiders of the Lost Ark. But you know, hey, that's <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> I do love. Her. I do love her. I just love her in this because uh, one of those characters where it's like I need to be more like that person. Yeah, this is this Marion <laughs> you know, Ravenwood this is, a better is pretty attitude. far removed from most of us, whereas uh, Claire <laughs> is someone that we could aspire to be. Because in that scene, uh, it's it's Christmas Eve, and you know it's the two of them together. You can tell this is the time where the two of them are probably the happiest, you know, as a yeah. couple in their relationship. And they're clearly uh, like poor. He... You know, they're living in a sort of mm-hmm. rundown apartment, and it's pretty the tree bare. is this little scrawny yeah. thing yeah there's not much furniture it's it, it looks mm. yeah it looks a little bit bare and worn down and old but it's just a sweet scene and they're clearly just yeah. so happy together and he gives her the the ginsu knives yeah, that's right. <laughs> as they're one and you, you see that tom- tin again, can and a tomato with it game was just like what a good person she is she only has like a second where her face is like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. did he give me knives for and she immediately is like oh thank you sweetie this is great yeah. <laughs> you know but he can him watching him his current self watching it like he's 
starting to realize like oh, that was a really know, dopey so move good, wasn't yeah. it jeez and then of course she gives him the kama sutra sutra <laughs> which is great read the inscription it's in sanskrit <laughs> but she uh, she's just um i don't we don't know if he was like the way he is back then it seems like there's a little bit of that a little bit of the not caring too much about other people like kind of selfish except with her mm-hmm. so she it's like she can really deal with him or she just melts that part of him yeah but the next one is when they're yeah that comes out is which is really sad um mm. he's got a job um at the tv studio now where he's on this kid's playing show dog, where he's yeah. playing a dog in a suit and claire comes to see him on stage the president uh preston uh not preston what's his name Lou Hayward yeah. um, invites invites him out to dinner, and it's just a funny little fight that they have about um, uh, him feeling like she's being selfish, right. you know, not taking the way he's saying about like you know you're not taking. I'm trying to I'm working. You kind of get it in a way like he's he's working on his career, but when he's really talking about it's like I've been fighting for the integrity of the show. It's like you're on a show playing a dog mm-hmm. and like this is the woman that you love like this should be what is what is more important in this moment right now your job or your family that's what yeah it kind of comes up that's i mean and that's sometimes that is a, not an easy decision for people to make you know but uh i do like what the ghost of uh christmas past says you know like you left claire for frisbee the dog you know like just putting it in perspective uh-huh. like in terms of where he is now like it's easy uh, sometimes i wonder about like these uh christmas carol stories because like well that's an easy decision to make now but you know maybe when you're in it it's not that easy because yeah. like you said maybe they were poor and they needed he needed to focus more on his career mm-hmm. but I mean, it's it's easy to say that like family should be more well, important. They sometimes say that's, you know hindsight is 2020 yeah you know, i like mean this is the this is the journey to where he got, you know. The Ghost of Christmas past sequences are always interesting in that respect because I don't think you ever completely judge whoever Scrooge is in those scenes because hmm. um, you kind of get it because when we're young, we've we've all kind of been there in that driven spot where it's yeah. like you got to choose one or the other and sometimes those choices are not as obvious as they seem until we look back later. In Dickens, I believe the character is unnamed, but it's very much, you know, he chooses business over love. You know, he chooses Mm -hmm. to go into business with Marley instead of staying with this woman. I mean, she's usually named, I think, Lucy or something like that in the movies. I hadn't even thought of that until like just (laughs) the second. And I don't know if that kind of ruins the point of it or not. But I mean, now I'm thinking about it, like, yeah. I don't think it ruins the point at all because I I think when you're in the moment of something, decisions are never clear when you have to make them. That's what makes Mm -hmm. them decisions when they're hard, at least, right? Yeah, it's just a sad scene of um, she's obviously just she's not mad at him. She's just sad yeah. in that scene. That's what makes it kind of hard to watch when she's like, well, maybe we should separate for a while. <laughs> and the way she just kind of says goodbye to him. Oh, 
kills yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And is. you can see that it's it's doing the same thing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then it, then it just sort of we end up in the next phase pretty quickly. Um, yeah, past is over. Past is over. We get into the Ghost of Christmas Present, uh, played by Carol Kane, in one of the <laughs> wildest roles you know I've ever seen her in. Um, I don't know if she I, freaking steals the movie. Though I'm I, almost, I, I would almost say I I really like her. I don't know if I love the beating him up constantly thing though. I gotta admit, it just I, it's, it's kind of slapsticky. I, I don't really yeah. get it. Why are you hitting him with a toaster? I I don't know. Cause uh, I mean that's that's fine. <laughs> Carol Kane is one of those actors I'm always happy to see. You know, yes. it, it doesn't matter what movie it is. I'm always happy to see her. So um, it's not her. It's 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 just like it's <laughs> like it's a lot. <laughs> it's like whoa. <laughs> that's that's my personal opinion of it. But um, uh, one of my favorite um, things, though, like uh, something I actually didn't again didn't notice until recently is kind of before that he's kind of having a um, a little tiff with Bryce again. Oh yeah. Um, on the set when he. And one thing that Bryce says, because at the lunch earlier, he had ordered the California health plate. Right. <laughs> and at the end, of when he when he's leaving this scene and he's like talking on the bullhorn or whatever, he's like uh, calling for some guy. I need a cigarette, you know? Yeah. It's just against being healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's another like kind of cynical view of of the world and of people uh-huh. again, like this, the hypocrisy that exists right. in the world that I, I didn't really get before. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but then it's time either. for, I love her introduction. It's, it's so cute. Yeah. And I love the way as, that she plays on her voice yes. in this scene. Yeah. I is agree. Fucking genius yeah. and hilarious because she's all very, you know, like think of, you know, whiskers and movies. Yeah. <laughs> I love all that. Yeah. Close I your, think that's great. Close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> she does that. I love all that. She's she's a genius. I she swear. is, and I really she's admire her in everything. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. I guess I guess uh, by the by the end of the sequence, I'm just like so bombarded. I feel like I've been hit by a toaster, you know. Right. Uh, by the end of it, uh, that's that's my only, uh, and and that's that's my opinion, and it's a minor. I think minor it's thing. it's just the the juxtaposition between like again like her voice yeah. and that she's dressed like an angel uh-huh. with like these little. Yeah, Wings and wings, yeah. she's like beating the shit out of yeah. him the whole time i don't i don't it's know wild. the point of it. i don't know whose decision that was either but it's a fun it brings up one of the funniest parts of the movie it's a toaster it, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i love the scenes with grace's family in this yes because there's real again you have the poor people who are struggle but there's real joy and real affection and love in this unit i mean mm-hmm. even earlier in the movie this was long before this scene where you know they they decorate uh, the youngest like a christmas tree that's so mean it, but but the thing is the thing is she's she's like no don't plug him don't plug, but she's and she, she starts to giggle she, yeah. she's, she looks like she's about to crack up and it's it's uh-huh. funny and it's cute and you know the kid's not going to be totally you know forever traumatized by it it's, it's probably going to be one of those things <laughs> but he looks sad he does look it's sad in sad that moment, moment. <laughs> he's like you jerks you used to dress me up like a Christmas tree and, you know I mean it, <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's one of those kinds of things yeah. I mean and I like too that these are moments uh, in the one with the ghost of Christmas past the ghosts have their moments of sincerity where you know they're having fun with Frank and they're they're joking with him and everything but they do have moments where 
where the the points of what they're doing and the point of the scene is really hitting home. Like yeah. when Frank is is crying in his house, David Johansson has that was uh, a look on his face that always kind of gets to me when he you know says you know Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. Yeah, it's kind of making fun of him, but it's also like, eh, see what I mean? See, yeah, I was. This is what it's happening. And when they're watching, um, they're both watching Calvin through the window. Sure. Um, I love that that moment. Carol Kane has a moment of real sincerity, too, where when he asks, you know, if if he's going to be OK. And she's like, well, it's his choice. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very it's very just a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. And um, good moment. Um, yeah. With the family <laughs> that kind of brings up a funny thing. She, and Carol Kane says, you know, they're so happy, but so poor. Tightwad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we go um, to his brother's Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his wife. This is where the the final Murray brother shows up. You recognize Joel? Joel Murray I, is one of the other guests at the at the party. Okay, yeah. I'm I didn't even think about watching for them to be honest because I don't I'm not yeah. particularly familiar with them. Joel is the only one I really know. Which is actually there's a fun connection within this movie um, with Bobcat Goldthwait and Joel Murray. Um, did you ever see the the movie that Bobcat made? God bless America. I didn't see that one. I've seen the world's greatest dad, but I didn't see that one. Uh, Joel Murray is the the star of that. It's okay. a good movie. Okay, you should check it out. Yeah, yeah, they're playing. Uh, what are they playing? Like they're trivial pursuit like or something. Thing. Yeah, it's like you know what is the what's the name of the ship boat that took the crew to Gilligan's Island? Yeah, the SS Minnow. Yes, yes, Minnow. I know. Everybody knows. Everybody this one. knows this one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a sweet moment yeah. again with the the brothers and um, him kind of realizing again, you know, the way he's been treating his brothers that's a great because yeah. he's cause I, again i love the moment when like these characters who should hate frank mm-hmm. who should be like sick of his shit by now they're not right <laughs> they still care about him you know and uh wendy uh his wife uh, is asking james you know like you every year you invite him to christmas and he never comes like when are you gonna give up on mm-hmm. him and he says never he's my brother right yeah, which is which is really cool. And that's something I think, you know, in hard times, you know, it's worth remembering, <laughs> you yeah. know, that family is family but, still. Um, and that's or just the fact that, you know, because maybe you're you want you're feeling like you want to give up on yourself mm-hmm. or that maybe nobody really cares that there actually are people out there that care about you. Yeah. And maybe you can't see it when you're around them. But uh, that's what I kind of like about the, him being able to you know, the whole ghost of Christmas present thing, like just kind of being able to uh, see what other people would say about you when you're not there, yeah. you know, yeah. and him, him really feeling that. I think that's what's going on in this moment. He's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I figured my brother should hate me yeah. for this, but he doesn't. Right. Yeah. And we, we kind of missed a, missed a scene. I think that is, kind of important where you go to the homeless shelter where they go to the homeless (laughs) shelter and they you know the the three guys sort of or one woman too uh, the the woman from uh (laughs) richard burton yeah the 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 fratelli you know the elder fratelli from uh from Goonies is one of the one of the people there. Is that her? Yeah, it's her. But they have that conversation. They think he's Richard Burton. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I love that. But well, I mean, it's important because that character, one of them, you know, sort of introduces us to being in the world of Christmas future, which is really sad too. Um, yeah. But it's it's nice to see you know um, Karen Allen or Claire in her element. You know, in this is who yes. she is to her core. And it's so important to show her there uh, for the future sequence, mm-hmm. to show her being someone who is really compassionate, 
who gives of herself so much, even it, the total opposite of Frank's character, right? Right. Who gives yeah. of him, gives of herself completely without expecting anything in return. So it's it's a nice scene. It's, it's funny. It's, it's the the whole Richard Burton <laughs> thing is really funny. I think. Yeah. Well, and that's another example of that too because he's horrible in that scene. Oh, he's awful. Yeah. To her, mm-hmm. he's not just to her, but to just everybody. Yeah. His attitude, like, is completely the opposite of who she is. Yeah. So again, you would expect her to hate him or her to not want to be involved but like she's she's seen that other side of him yeah for i think is the the point here that she's again like she's not going to give up even though it seems like he's pushing her away she's not going to let him yes it's a key moment because after the ghost of christmas present scene he's kind of finds himself in under the street right you know is sort of Mm-hmm. A, sort of a <laughs> cellar area underneath the street and there is and there's a trump joke there's a trump joke it's like where, where am i this is must be trump tower yeah but he sees one of this is such a such a dark it's moment. a dark moment he sees so dark. he sees this one of the men he ran into in the shelter of herman herman yeah frozen to death underneath the street smiling smiling and it's dark it's very it's a poignant scene he starts kind of yelling at him mm-hmm. he's like claire would have taken care of you why didn't you stay and it's almost like he could yep. be yelling it right to himself oh yeah he's yelling at himself yeah. totally it's one of, and honestly i think that's one of the best scenes in the whole movie it's um the more i think about it the more i'm just sort of touched by it mm-hmm. and sort of saddened by it i am too yeah. yeah for a long time i even wondered if that was even it was almost maybe it was it was so dark and just like so so sad that I wondered all right, I hoped almost in a way that it wasn't real, that it was kind of part right. of the the what the ghosts were, were doing to him. Yeah. But the fact that he shows up as a ghost at the end of the movie, I, yeah. I think that was real. Yeah, I think it is. He's too. with he's with Carol Kane's yeah yeah <laughs> i just didn't want that to be real because that's that's fucked up I'm it sorry. is it is i mean and yeah now here's here's the thing to me that sort of th- almost thwarts it really tries to subvert something with the scrooge story because right. christmas yet to come is about to come and get him right you know the hand comes out the famous shot of the hand mm-hmm. big skeleton yeah, they're doing the live out. they're doing the live broadcast right. and he's um of scrooge Scrooge and he's watching it from uh, I do like that shot yeah. <laughs> he's watching it from the big wall mm-hmm. of uh, TV screens in his office yeah and the ghost of Christmas future sort of fills the screen and his hand reaches out for him and then <laughs> honey I'm home, I'm home. <laughs> yeah Bob Th- Bobcat Goldthwait shows up with and we've seen doing, him doing his his Bobcat his Goldthwait full on thing. Goldthwait at his this famous point. yeah he's thing, full on yes. Bobcat at this point because earlier in the movie he's toned it way down and as he mm-hmm. gets drunker and drunker throughout the course of the a, movie, yeah a little bit of the voice comes out as he's getting drunker yeah more of the voice comes out yeah it comes out through the course of the movie and I, I really think that's entertaining but what I think happens there is because the whole point of this christmas yet to come thing is it may not happen right Mm -hmm. this is that's the whole that we've had that ingrained in our heads for as long as we've heard a christmas carol stories right that he can change this future so (laughs) when bobcat goldthwaite comes in with a shotgun and the hand disappears you're like oh he could be killed right now 
and this may that's not true. matter at all. That's true. And I think I didn't think about that. And that's some, I thought it was just kind of a funny moment yeah. that like the the ghost was scared of. Yeah, I <laughs> Elliot Loudermilk in that moment. I think it's I think it's a little I I don't know it if that was both, the intention yeah. or not, but it's or if it's just like hey, that's funny. Who knows? But I think it actually does something to sort of subvert your expectations about uh-huh. the Christmas Carol story because we've heard it so many times, you know, it's trying not to be cliché even though it's going to be because it's the Scrooge story, <laughs> you know, just because <laughs> that is so ubiquitous, right? So that whole scene is just kind of wild, you know, that Frank could die getting shot by his former employee here. Kind of a very real thing again yeah. to, to bring into sure uh, modern times. Yeah. Sure. Well, I... Yeah. But he's being so funny. I don't think about that. I know. It's, it's a funny <laughs> scene, <moment>. too. <laughs> he just, he kills me when he's, when he's full on Bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> 1001, 1002, 1003. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. Well, the thing is, I grew up watching like the Police Academy movies. So uh-huh. I had, and I saw them in like reverse order, starting with four. Okay. <laughs> and where he's, and so Bobcat Goldthwait is one of the first characters you see in that movie you know <laughs> and so it's it, i don't know it's just really funny so then then <laughs> then i saw more of him in the previous one and three and then you see a little more of him in two and so it's just like um <laughs> a little bit more of the bobcat goldthwait is this no you know what i mean so seeing him yeah. uh in that full-on state was like this is who i know this is who i'm familiar with you know yeah uh-huh. Side note about Bobcat Goldthwait, though, um, he did an amazing interview on the movie Crypt okay. that you should listen to okay. if you haven't, if you can. I know some of their older episodes have been archived. Yeah, oh, okay. he's he's so good on that. I've never heard him like um, you know talk that like he's so funny. He's got such a great insight into to being a director too. Like my favorite story about him talking about being a director is that so he doesn't lose his cool or like act like an asshole on set is he wears a funny hat. Is that right? He wears a funny hat every day when he's on set. It's like you can't yell at somebody while you're wearing a sombrero, you know? That is <laughs> so he brings really... his comedy. He oh. brings his comedy and, yeah. and his, his smarts into it. Uh, he's he's a great interview, though. I think that's, that's I love and that. And the thing is, he was playing this character that was sort of, you know, sort of primal and stuff, but he's incredibly intelligent. Everything yeah. oh, I've yeah. heard, God, of, yeah. heard from him has just been like, this guy is like genius level intelligence yeah uh, he's amazing it's very, it's really something you know and honestly world's greatest dad that's a dark freaking movie but um so it's god bless america yeah, it's so but dark. i was like man this is a smart movie it's uh-huh. <laughs> it's something anyway i gotta see that one yeah i haven't seen it in a long time but it's uh it's dark 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 stuff but interesting you know one of robin williams uh last roles yeah he also did um, a documentary that if we ever did a documentary episode i would kind of want to do this one even though again it's like really really dark he did a documentary on barry crimmins called call me lucky oh yeah i've heard of it mm-hmm. yeah it's real it's really good but yeah again it gets very very dark but well. it's just not the kind of thing you'd expect from bobcat goldthwaite in a way or just maybe we just Comedians uh, in general tend to have a very dark side to them. They do, you know. They do. I think that so much of so much of humor is combating the darkness, right? Yes. And I think a lot of the great comedians, the truly great comedians, are sort of battling the darkness within themselves, um, mm-hmm. which brings about this humor. You know, the, the old joke, what makes something funny? So tragedy plus time. Yes. It's not all that untrue, to be honest. It's. 
it's yeah i i really think there's a lot something to that that's why i think comedians are often like a better dramatic actors in a way yeah. sometimes when they when they take that turn mm-hmm. and they do a more dramatic role they almost feel like they're they're more in tuned with that side yeah. even though we're so used to the comedic side i think when people saw like robin williams for example in goodwill hunting or bill murray in lost in translation it was kind of shocking you know yes. and they were like <laughs> wow these or or uh, jim carrey in truman show to see them be able to do something re- that, that had a real grounded reality to it was almost off-putting for some people. Yeah, yeah, but whenever I, I see comedians do roles like that, I, I believe it more. Sorry, we froze up for a second. We froze. Did I freeze? You did. So did you. you did. Am I back? <laughs> I don't know what either one of us We might have talked over each other. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Okay, so we're in the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He does end up... Yeah, in the middle middle of this, uh, he escapes out into the elevator. Funny scene earlier. Again, like being meta with the Christmas Carol thing, but never like commenting on the fact that he's in the the Christmas Carol story is when he uh, sees the the ghost of Christmas future. That's for the show. In the elevator, (laughs) yeah. In the elevator, and he kind of freaks out and... It's, that's, I think that's a funny moment. Yeah. And then he thinks it's him again when he's in the elevator. And like, again, something that scared me as a kid or was just like really freaky like, was when he opens yeah. the guy's robe and there's like all the souls or whatever, I uh-huh. guess, that they're supposed to be. Bill Murray, again, being genius, like no comment, whatever. He just kind of closes it. No expression on his face. Then he looks <laughs> just again. kind of opens it again, looking again. Did our people do that? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. Yeah, I always love um, the way that they, uh, the way that he, Richard Donner shoots the the future scenes are very cool. They're very like, stark. Um, very, very stark. Black and very, white. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. especially the one with Claire. Oh, yeah. Very dreamy, smoky. Mm-hmm. Like just the look of it in general. Like um, the first. Well, the first place that he goes to um, is he sees Calvin like in an institution, mm-hmm. whatever. He sees uh, Grace visiting um, her son there, and uh, they say like with a Christmas Carol's. <laughs> It's like the character is always an asshole right up to the point that he's not anymore. It's usually after all this, but you can, I think you, you definitely see seeds of it throughout the movie that he's slow, slowly changing yeah. and seeing things. And like, especially in these future sequences, he's really, really affected yeah. by all of these. Yeah. And I think honestly, what you said that what people are saying that they just, that he just suddenly switches. I don't, think that's true at all i don't think that's true when you have in the really good adaptations that is just not the case alistair sim michael kane uh george c scott patrick stewart all of these and and bill murray you know all of these actors Mm -hmm. playing these scrooge roles they slowly turn but then they take it's like they take two steps forward one step back two steps forward one step back throughout the course of the movie Mm -hmm. and that is also true of the dickens story you know the fact that scrooge would even ask what will become of tiny tim to the ghost of christmas present is showing that he's changing yeah in fact in most adaptations that are direct adaptations of uh, uh of a christmas carol he is pretty much at the point of redemption if you want to call at that at the end of the Christmas present scene. Yeah. You know, he's like, okay, I get it. I get it. And then, then they go to the future and it's like, it really hits at home for him. So I, I 
kind of disagree with that analysis that he's always an asshole until the last second. I just don't you know yeah. his heart grows two sizes that day or whatever. You know, that's not really the case. The turnaround is 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 too quick and it's not as believable. It's very believable, I think, in this yeah. one. Yeah. So and I think in the best adaptations of A Christmas Carol it is. That, that it's a gradual change. Mm. Yeah. And I think the ones that I mentioned do that best. The, the scene with Claire. Oh, uh, gosh. Her, her future scene always really gets to me mostly because of that, that tear on mm-hmm. her face when she turns around. Ugh. Yeah. And they have her made up with that sort of white makeup on her face. and Yeah. Where she looks like a ghost herself. Because yeah. <laughs> like, she's a ghost of herself. It's not... She's a ghost of herself. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly. not... You know, Frank knows that it's because of things that he said that she would uh-huh. become this way. You know, he she's basically saying the things that he would say, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what makes that mean something. And I actually think that is a far more powerful moment to come to redemption than, you know, then you're going cu- to die. It's like, well, of course yeah. you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, and I know here he's a young man, so it, it's a little different, you know, but in all the Scrooge stories, it's like he's an old guy. He knows that death is on the way. Right. Come on. <laughs> and so in the Christmas Carol, in the in the best adaptations, again, it's not the fact that he's going to die. It's that he's going to die and leave a legacy of being despised. I mean, which you kind yeah. of get from this one in particular, like mm-hmm. that the only people that are there for him at the end are his brother yep. and his wife. You yep. know? And, you know, the, the, the being there's not as many people inside the coffin is, is yeah. uh, it's like, don't burn me. Okay. And then like his big <laughs> turnaround happens. Yeah. And, um, and that is big. I mean, that's a big swing it's ending, big. you know, all the stuff. Okay. Beforehand when he's just like, he's, he's a little too cheery. I think right away. I think, yeah, it's, I think, it's, so too. I think it's the, maybe it's just the, um, realizing that, um, he's, I mean, cause he's saying like, I'm alive. Like, and I like the little moment when the hallelujah comes in after he says that. Just like, yeah. It's a nice, it's just a funny little yeah. touch. So he's a little bit too happy right away. And then, okay, the whole ending sequence when he like takes over the the live television broadcast. Now, I used to think, I used to like not like this ending at all. Yeah. Which And I still, I'm still a little confused by it. I'm still not sure if it entirely works mm-hmm. in a way. It's very long for one thing. It's like almost 10 minutes um, of his. It's almost and some people have I've read kind of describe it almost as if you're watching the the actor like actually have a breakdown on camera a little bit. But but, Uh and uh, I used to think it was it was too long. It was too too much again of a one of the tonal shifts of the movie that doesn't feel real. Like all that aside, really, I love his message at least mm-hmm. in this like do you feel like it's a little out of place or does it work for you the whole the whole ending sequence well it, ending sequences of scrooge movies are always tough yeah i mean i i saw a, a live show of it one time and this ending just went on forever and it was and it uh-huh. got to the point where it's like okay i'm over it it's so because it felt like they just extended it and extended it and added little jokes over the course of the, and they and like the actors were improvising and it, it was mm-hmm. just like Okay, we get it. Here, it's fine. I, it's not like I said. It's so it's so ecstatic that it's almost like ah, you know, like you're you're being punched in the face with sunshine. But it's uh, <laughs> but overall, I I 
like it. I think his ultimate message is, you know, just care for someone else. Yes. I mean, that's all we really need. I mean, and put a little love in your right. heart, right? Watching him, like, um, there, I think there are some parts of this that are a little bit, like, he could be cut out and, and get to, like, what he's actually trying to say. Yeah. But watching him, um, it, he, Bill Murray is so raw and emotional mm-hmm. like saying these lines if there are times when he he stutters you know very much feels like he's just trying to find you know the right words in the moment you know for real uh-huh. in this scene um but yeah ultimately i actually really listening to what he's saying uh, i think it's it's a good message because he's you know talking about you know christmas you know don't be one of these people that says that christmas is just a fraud and that you know it's once a year and then you don't have to be nice anymore like we don't want that everybody he keeps talking about the miracle you know talking about like wanting that miracle to happen he's talking about being happy the character like a character who you can tell has probably never been truly happy or had any kind of sense of true satisfaction with himself with the world you know with anything and he's finally felt that for the first time that's the miracle that he's talking about is happiness Mm -hmm. and i like the message that he has too about it's not that it's not about helping out the people that need it, you know, from the outside because everybody needs it. Oh yeah. In a way. Yeah. That that's, you know, Mm -hmm. he's like, you want that miracle to happen? you like, you can do all these things for the, for the poor and the hungry. And that's amazing. But everybody needs this miracle to happen. Everybody needs to be happy. We're all facing like our own kind of battles that, you know, obviously not as serious as, actually being needing help from other people but we all need that miracle of of being happy and that it can happen more than once than just on christmas eve right i think that's the message i I really like that Mm -hmm. you know and that goes you know back to dickens again you know scrooge was i haven't actually read it's a great it's a great novelette you know it's not very long but i i read it fairly almost once a year Mm -hmm. and i think the ending, you know, it says, you know, Scrooge was better than his word. He became a second father to Tiny, Tiny Tim, and he kept Christmas in his heart, past, present, and future every day, all the year long. And the one thing maybe about Murray's performance at the end of this is I'm almost like he's just sort of high on this all. Could he just turn around and go back, slide back into sure. it? You know, <laughs> that's the one thing. I think thing if he's with I... Claire, because Claire is obviously taking him back. Yeah. I think if he's with Claire, I don't think she would let that happen. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> right. Because Claire. Claire is the key. Yes. Claire is the key. Whereas in the, the story, you know, Bob Cratchit and his family is the key. And his nephew, Fred, is the key. They continue to keep him sort of true to, to his word there. And the, yes, it's very typical, you know, the, the Christmas feelings about not being selfish and being there for, for other people. I, I, again, I like, I like the way that he delivers this in a different way, like not just about like do something, go out and help people. It's, it's, it's saying do something because it not only helps other people, but it helps yourself too. Yeah. It's right. You can it, it save does. a you can it save does. a part of yourself by doing good mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, exactly. I think 
I think that is such a key to happiness is really being good to other people. I, I, that is, I think, probably the ultimate key. Because when you get outside yourself and you think about others, I think it elevates your own mood. Mm -hmm. It elevates your own sort of purpose, I guess, sense of purpose. It's not a cure. No. But it can definitely help. It makes you feel just a little bit better. I I know I always feel better if I I try to say something nice to somebody, you know be there for somebody because sometimes that's all they need is one person to notice to say something just try to be like that as much as possible in your life that's what i've been trying to do the last few years you know yeah i agree realizing that's what's most important and that's just to be there for each other if and if everybody is there for each other then hopefully maybe someday real change can actually happen absolutely which kind of takes us into oh, yeah. the next movie, to be honest. <laughs> right. Um, but I, oh, and then they do the whole thing. I like when they all sing. Cause I always like to sing along yeah. with that song. Uh, put a little put love a in your heart. In heart yeah. <laughs> it's cute. So, yeah, that's Scrooged. One that I kind of see uh, mostly. Yeah, I do like to watch it because it's funny and it makes me laugh. But uh, again, like I was saying with this show, just when you have to actually look at a movie and look more critically... I see a lot more things in it that I I love and appreciate with what it's doing, especially with the end, which I was always didn't really know what to do with sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. actually listening to him and actually thinking about what he's saying and what the ultimate message of the the story that, you know, this is based on Mm -hmm. is really about like, um, I see it a lot more and it. um, It's a good message to have one that people need to hear more. Agreed. Hey everyone, Michelle here. Uh, So we ran into a little bit of a time crunch getting this Christmas episode out to you guys. Uh, So we're gonna pause the podcast here, but stay tuned and come back for our discussion, our epic discussion (laughs) of Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Thank you all for listening. Bye.